Beloved, hear God call us to worship this morning from Ezekiel 36 and 37. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Beloved, our God makes us alive by his grace. And grace shows us that no one is so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace and no one is so good that we aren't in constant need of that very same grace to us in Jesus. And so we come and we confess that. We confess that we are a needy people, that we need God's grace and that God gives us his grace in Christ and we are forgiven in the blood of Jesus. So let's confess that together this morning uh, with our confession of sin. And after we say this together, we'll take a few moments to uh, quietly uh, and more specifically confess our sins to our God. But let's acknowledge our sin together this morning. Faithful God, in your word, You have offered us the truest story of the world. You created in holiness. We rebelled in sin. You redeem in righteousness and restore in love. Your word brings transcendence and meaning to our narrow and confused world. It is our lamp and light on the fragmented path of life. Thank you for what you have done and are doing in us because of Jesus. In our sin, we are guilty and dead. In Christ, we are righteous and alive. In our sin, our hearts are hardened stone. In Christ, our hearts become flesh that is softened and formed by your grace. We need forgiveness, and it is forgiveness you give us in Christ. Holy Spirit, work in us to abandon sin and death and cling to life in Christ. Shape our hearts by grace. Faithful God, you are our greatest good. You are our unending need. Amen. Now, let's take a few moments to quietly go before our God and confess our sins and see his grace to us in Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess all of these things in the hope of your mercy, which is fully and finally given to us in your one and only Son, Jesus. And it is by his wounds that we are healed, we are forgiven in his blood, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Beloved of Christ, God wants us to hear his assurance of his grace, assurance of his pardon and forgiveness to us, and that comes to us this morning from Ephesians chapter 2. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Beloved, we are made alive in Christ by God's grace. And it's that very same grace that compels us to declare what it is that Jesus has done for us. And so I'll ask us the question and then let's respond together. Beloved of Christ, what is it that we believe about the work of Christ for us? Christ was crucified, died, and was buried for our sin. By his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us righteous before God. His resurrection is also a guarantee of our resurrection. Therefore, in this life we now live, Jesus has, by grace, changed our hearts to confess his name and present ourselves to him as living sacrifices. We are also free to flee the temptation of sin and run to Jesus. We are to live knowing that his blood speaks a better word than our sin. Our death is not a payment for our sins, but only a dying to sin and entering into eternal life. In the life to come, we will reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. We will fully experience the glory for which we were originally made. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad that we get an opportunity again and week after week, even in this capacity, to look at God's Word together. So we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel today. You might remember that we are looking at all of the scriptures this year, walking our way through the story of the Bible, in particular emphasizing the four-part story of the scriptures. It was in our confession this morning, creation, rebellion, redemption, restoration. That's the four-part story of the scriptures. You might also remember that there are five threads that we are thinking about as we follow the four-part story. Thread number one that you see throughout scripture is that God has always had a people. He has always been building his church. Thread number two, sin, evil is real, but it never gets the last word. Three, grace. Grace. From beginning to end in the scriptures, we see grace. God initiates, God pursues, God saves. Four, he did it. Jesus really, literally, in time and history, accomplished redemption. And the fifth thread is this. Everything, everything is moving toward Jesus. So even though we find ourselves in the middle of the prophets, we've been in the prophets for the last couple of weeks, we're going to be in the prophets for the next few weeks, they are all moving us toward Jesus. Your life is moving toward Jesus, my life is moving toward Jesus. Now, the reason why I mention these five threads to you is this. As we look at Ezekiel 37 this morning, all five threads are there. So that's not my outline. 
but I just want you to know that you will see and, and you can understand more about those five threads through this passage we're going to look at this morning. So the point of Ezekiel 37 is this. Before I read, I want to give you the point. This is the point. In Ezekiel 37, we have a picture of what we are really like and what God really does do. Ezekiel 37 gives us a picture of what we are really like and what God really does do. So I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Ezekiel 37. Keep that point in mind. If you want, keep those five threads in mind. Reflect on those after if you desire. Um, but let's look at God's word together. This is his life-giving word. You can trust it with all that you are. Listen to this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was, not, there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, so my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, so my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you that your word is true, that it gives light, that it is a lamp on a very fragmented path of life. Would you encourage us this morning would you bring us face to face in new ways with who we are and what you have done in Jesus? Holy Spirit, encourage us, challenge us, reveal to us who we really are. 
that we might more deeply understand and live and obey in light of what God has really done. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You remember the point that I mentioned to you about this passage? It's this. This is what I want to show you from Ezekiel 37. That Ezekiel 37 gives us a picture of what we really are like and what God really does do. Here's the framework for looking at this passage together this morning and trying to understand that point. I'm going to introduce you to Ezekiel, then we're going to look at the vision, and then we're going to think about the so what. What does this mean for my life? So let's jump in. I want to introduce or reintroduce you to a new old friend. His name is Ezekiel. And I should say, as I start, I might accidentally call him Ezra because of my notes. I abbreviated E-Z. You might hear me even say Zeke because that's the name that goes in my head when I hear Ezekiel. But just in case, if I say Zeke, Ezekiel, or Ezra, they're all referring to the same person. So let me introduce you. As the story begins, if you look back in chapter 1, you'll find that this guy, Ezekiel, is 30 years old. There are several scholars who think that it's his birthday And he begins to explain God and explain what's going on with God's people on his birthday. Could you imagine having a gift from God in which he gives you profound insight into what's happening in the world? Well, that was Ezekiel on his 30th birthday. We also know that Ezekiel was one of those who was deported to Babylon. It's true. He lived during the time in which Jerusalem was sacked and besieged by Babylon. And Ezekiel was one of those who literally walked or rode some type of animal all the way to Babylon and lived there in exile. We also find out, if you read through the book of Ezekiel, that he was friends with another figure in the Bible that maybe you've heard of before named Daniel. Ezekiel was at least 10 years older than Daniel, but it was in Babylon that Ezekiel met Daniel. Well, here's something else that can connect with us, with Ezekiel. He knew what it was like to live during a time of dramatic upheaval and even significant career change. You see, Ezekiel was following in the steps of his father. Ezekiel's dad was a priest, And Ezekiel had been training for the priesthood. So one of the other reasons why this year 30 was significant is because in the Old Testament, if you wanted to enter into the ministry, if you wanted to become a priest, you had to wait until you were 30, 30 years old. So he went through all this training. And in the year in which he wanted to become a priest, because he had been deported and was in a different land, He had to have a significant change of career, one that he wasn't expecting or anticipating. And that was, he began to enter into the prophetic ministry. He wasn't a priest, he became a prophet, which was different. More on that in a moment. Here's another way that Ezekiel can connect with us. Ezekiel knows profound, significant loss. If you read through the story, what you find is that the day that Jerusalem was attacked by Babylon, the day that Jerusalem was besieged by Babylon, that was the day that Ezekiel lost his wife. She died the very same day. So not only was he taken to a foreign land, 
Not only did he have a significant career change, he also lost his wife. Now, in Babylon, Ezekiel had this prophetic gift from God. He was a prophet. He was a spokesman on God's behalf to declare God's word to God's people, to call them back, to understand who God is and to faithfulness with him. And I need to tell you, Zeke was a weird guy. Yes, he spoke a lot of God's words, absolutely. But there was something very unique about this particular prophet. He was very enigmatic. Um, He was like a living billboard. Uh, One scholar that I read this week said that Ezekiel was like a street theater. He lived out a message in front of everyone. And just to give you an example of how weird Ezekiel was and something that he did that was quite bizarre to illustrate something for God's people. If you go back and read, I think it's in chapter 4 or 5, you'll find that Ezekiel laid on his side in the public square. And whenever he would get up from his side to eat, he would cook, few, he would cook food that was fueled by his own poo. Now, that's weird. That's Ezekiel. He lived out all these things to illustrate for God and illustrate to God's people how God's people were living. It was wrong. It was bizarre. It was weird what God's people were doing. And Ezekiel was bringing a message of hope. Well, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward from the first chapter and following all the way to chapter 37. Let's fast forward and look at this vision that we read together. Let's get into this vision. This vision is meant for us to get our lives, to see our lives here. It's meant for us to get into this story. You might wonder what a vision is. Well, it's, I can give you an approximate understanding of what it is. It's Ezekiel being transported in which he experiences the reality of what God's people are like and what God desires for his people. It is an experience in which he understood God more clearly, in which he understood what God thinks of his people and what God intends to do. Maybe the closest thing I can try to communicate what a vision is is if you all put on your VR goggles those visual reality things, you know, the virtual reality goggles. Imagine going into this virtual world in which you get a glimpse of what's really going on. So let's dive into the vision. What did Ezekiel see? If you look back at the text, what you find is that God brought him, I believe in verse 1, to the middle of a valley. The middle of the valley. And it's there that God not only brought Zeke, but God decided that he was going to walk with him throughout the valley. So Ezekiel walked with God throughout the whole valley, backwards and forwards, north, south, east, west. He walked all over the valley. And the reason for that is because it had to get deep into Ezekiel what was there. God did not want Ezekiel to have a glimpse of the valley. He didn't want him to have a sample of the valley. He wanted Ezekiel to thoroughly, comprehensively 
understand what was in this valley. And what Ezekiel saw everywhere that he went, every place, dry bones. Dry bones, like dead. We're talking decomposed bodies that have no more skin, no more organs, completely decomposed all the way down to the fact where the bones are dry. Total desolation. Total death. No living thing. There aren't even birds that are flying around picking up final scraps. Total desolation. Well, it's in that moment, if you look in verse 3, that God asks Ezekiel a question. He's walking around with Ezekiel. He's showing, them, showing him everything. Ezekiel's understanding in deeper ways what is in the valley, which is death. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Now, Ezekiel understood that the question that God asked him, it was not an opportunity for him to show how much he knows. He understood that God was not asking Ezekiel to weigh in, that God wasn't saying, Ezekiel, hey, here's a problem. What are you going to do to fix it? Which is oftentimes how we receive questions, isn't it? How many times do we receive questions in which we think, this is my opportunity to prove myself. This is my opportunity to talk about how much I know. This is my opportunity to fix this thing because I can do it. Ezekiel knew that this question was much more profound than that. You see, this is the kind of question that strips us down to our very core. This is the kind of question that gets to the core of what it means to be a human being and what it means as a human being to look at reality. The question that God is asking Ezekiel is this. Ezekiel, do you believe in the supernatural? Maybe more specifically, Ezekiel, do you believe in the power of the supernatural? To bring that home to our hearts and our lives, God is asking Ezekiel, God is asking us, do you believe in something beyond yourself? Do you believe that there's something beyond science, beyond experts? Do you believe that there is something beyond you? And do you believe that has power? Power that operates in the world. Ezekiel's answer. Look at what he says in verse 3. God says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, Lord God, you know, you know what Ezekiel is saying, if you want to put New Testament language on it, is this. With you, God, nothing is impossible. You can do anything. 
Then, if you look at verses 7 through 10, we see what happens. Two things happen. The first is this. The earth begins to rattle. The earth begins to quake. And Ezekiel looks out and he begins to see bone connecting to bone. He begins to see bones coming together and fitting together and forming the semblance of a skeleton. And then he begins to see sinews and ligaments and muscles and tendons begin to form over this skeletal structure. And then he begins to see skin coming up over this whole skeleton. He sees this happening. Now, I don't have a great illustration for this, but I have something. I remember one year when we went to see my parents when they were living in New York at the time, and we took my kids to a Lego store. I don't know if you've ever been to a Lego store or not, but this was the biggest Lego store that I had ever been in in my life. And in this Lego store that I was in with my children, there was this big screen, like a TV screen, you know, 12, 24 inches, somewhere in there. Not a huge screen, but a screen. And here's what happened. This is what you could do. You could grab any box of Legos off the shelf. And trust me, they had more boxes of Legos than I'd ever seen in my life. And I remember with Owen, we grabbed this gigantic box of Legos. And we brought it up to the screen. And we didn't see it at first, but there was a sensor underneath the screen. And somehow that sensor read what was on the box. And when you put the box under the screen... And that sensor read the box. On the screen, that Lego set started to form and be put together such that you could actually see how the thing was built. Of course, it was in faster speed. It wasn't one at a time. But you could see that whole thing that you were thinking about buying being built right before your eyes on that screen. That must have been something like what Zeke saw to see these structures come together. But you notice what it says at the end of verse 8. There was no breath in them. There was no life. Just like when me and Owen and Dabney and Bergen looked at this screen and could tell that the Lego set had been completely built, but we couldn't grab it and touch it and walk away. There was no life to it. Here's the second thing that Ezekiel saw. He saw and heard the wind moving and coming. He saw breath. He saw, if you look back at the text, not only the, he also, he experienced the breath and the wind blowing. And if you look at the text closely, you'll notice wind and spirit and breath occur roughly 10 times in these 14 verses. And they're all the same word. And what was happening is the Holy Spirit was coming into these structures, into these human beings. And the Holy Spirit was breathing, blowing, and giving life to what Ezekiel saw that was put back together. The Spirit was at work bringing these human beings to new life. That's what he saw. 
That's what we can see in this passage. Well, let's think about the so what. And I hope that you've gotten into the vision a little bit and enjoyed thinking about that and imagining that image and picture. But let's go even deeper than just imagining something. Let's get to the so what. What does this mean in my life? What does this mean for me? And I would encourage you to take these in and meditate on them. I can't work out every single detail, but I would love to talk with you about it if you'd like to as much as I can with you and what's going on in your life. But take these in and think about your life. Here's what we find when we think about the so what. I want to give you a few of these. The first one is this. This passage shows us how the Holy Spirit works in and through the Word of God. So if you're wondering... Maybe you're exploring Christianity or maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a long time and you wonder, what is this third person of the Trinity? What is, who is this Holy Spirit? What does he do? Well, this passage shows us, as other passages do, that the Holy Spirit works in and through the Word. If you notice, God came to Ezekiel and said, prophesy, speak to them, speak my word to these bones. Speak in this valley of death, Ezekiel. Declare my words. And as Ezekiel does that, the Holy Spirit comes into these beings and brings life. Now, I know I need to go through this quickly, but this is actually one of my favorite, this is one of the reasons why I love the benediction so much. Because you realize every week, God desires to bless his people. He desires to bless you as you leave the gathering of God's people and you're scattered in to fulfill your calling and live out the gospel in your lives with your family and your work and everything else. As you're loving him, loving others, and loving the place where he has you, God wants you to leave the corporate gathering of his people with his blessing And what that means is that the Holy Spirit takes those words, the words of God, because every week the blessings that I use are from the Bible. They're God's word. And the Holy Spirit then takes those words, the blessing, and he works them into you and brings life to you through those words. So when God says that he's going to bless you and keep you, when he will be gracious to you and his smile is upon you, if you think about that through the week, if you're thinking about God, you will know this is how the Holy Spirit is working in you this week. He takes the word of God and he works in and through it to bring you and God close. Second, Here's something else to think about and meditate on and ponder, maybe even wrestle with. Did you notice how relational God is in this passage? If you go back and read the passage, remember, God brought Ezekiel to this vision. He brought him to this virtual reality. God brought Ezekiel, the text says, to the middle of the valley. It also says that God led him around all over the valley. 
Remember, we also thought together about God asking Ezekiel a question, a question that applies to us. Do you see how relational God is being here? He is coming to us, leading us, placing us. He is asking you the same question that he asks Ezekiel, the same question that he asks me. He asks us over and over and over, question after question after question, because he wants to draw out of us what is inside. And he knows how our lives are so full of fluff. And he keeps asking us questions and questions and questions that get at our core and what we really think. And we experience things in life to help us think through, are we really dependent on self? Are we really living as if there's anything beyond me or science or experts? Do we believe that there is power, supernatural power at work in us and in the world? God is a relational God, and he will relentlessly pursue your heart and my heart, and he will bring us back over and over to the essence of what it means to be human, which is to be dependent, to trust, and to count on God, as Ezekiel had to do, as we by God's grace and the Spirit, are learning together. Three, this passage is teaching us beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are some things that only God can do. There are some things that only God can do. We see several here. One is this, regeneration. God alone can regenerate. He alone brings life out of death. God alone has the power to resurrect. You see, there's regeneration in this passage and there's also resurrection. God also says, one day I'll bring you out of the grave. God alone can do those two things. And if we apply that to our lives, what that means is that there's a lot of things in our lives that we can't fix. There's a lot about self that we can't fix alone. I don't know if you've ever talked to any addicts before, but if you feel in your heart of hearts that you can change about anything in your life, I would encourage you to get to know someone who's an addict. And I would encourage you to develop a relationship with them and find out what life is like for them. Because what you will find out is addicts cannot change themselves. They need something from the outside to break in and bring new life. And if we look in the mirror and we're honest with ourselves in a very, very deep way, we all have things that we are addicted to. 
And the way that change happens is by God's power, by God acting on us and giving us new life, bringing us life. Now, let me say this. If you are listening to this this morning and you are someone that really struggles with despair, shame, if you're someone that constantly beats yourself up, listen, God chose you. God loves you. God will raise you from the dead and he will give you new life. And if you're listening to this this morning and you struggle with arrogance and pride and you find yourself constantly in your moments of strength, you're able to identify and admit that you love to smuggle your own glory into places it doesn't belong and smuggle your own ego into places where it doesn't belong, if you hear this this morning that there are things that only God can do and you are profoundly struggle with arrogance, you need to hear this. God chose you. God. God made you alive. God did it. God is the one that gets the glory, not you. God didn't make this happen and you had to seal the deal. God alone does this. And he alone gets glory. This passage also teaches us about hope. When you look at this passage, it's really hard to not find hope. And particularly as followers of God, we have a profound, profound hope. You see, this passage teaches us two things about hope. The first one is this. It doesn't matter how bad things look. You always have hope. You can be in a valley of dry bones. You can be surrounded by death. There's hope. It doesn't matter how bad things are or how bad things look. Life with God means you always have hope. The second thing this passage teaches us about hope is this. That if you give your life to God and understand who God is and understand who you are, the hope that God gives is stronger than death. One of the things that I've enjoyed doing during this quarantine is I've had time because I haven't been able to meet with as many people. So I've been able to listen to a lot of music that I find on YouTube and I've been able to watch interviews of people who talk about the quarantine and what's going on in their lives, uh, celebrities and how they're enduring this time, whether they're in North Carolina or other states and other parts of the world. And what's been fascinating to me is that they all have had the same basic answer. You know, the quarantine has helped me prioritize my life. The quarantine has helped me understand the importance of family. I've heard this over and over and over. 
And friends, that's a good thing. It is good for us to assess our priorities during this time. It is good for us to place appropriate value on family. It's true. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching John Krasinski's Some Good News, and I've thoroughly enjoyed watching the concerts that I have and listening to them talk. I've enjoyed it all. But I want you to understand that family is not ultimate, or getting our priorities right is not ultimate. We need a hope that is stronger than family and stronger than what can be produced by getting our priorities right. We need a hope that's stronger than death. And that's what God gives us. That's what God gives us in this passage. Real hope, no matter how bad things look. And a hope that's even beyond death. Life. You can't read this passage without understanding something about life. To reiterate what John Paul mentioned in the call to worship and what we find in this chapter, verses 4 and 5 and 6, and in verse 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, life, life. God is the author of life. God gives life. Ezekiel can proclaim God's word, and that word is communicating that God gives life. And what that means is that Ezekiel was communicating the good news. He was telling these dead bones the gospel. You see, this is all about what Jesus has done. He is the way, truth, and life. So when you read in this passage about God's people in verse 11 feeling as though they were cut off and cursed, know that Jesus is the one that literally lived that out and fulfilled that. Jesus was cut off. God's people in exile were on the difficult side of the covenant. They were facing the consequences of their rebellion And when Jesus came, he was cut off for you and for me. And this is not some abstract truth. He felt it. Do you remember on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was cut off. He was dead. He died for you and me that we might know blessing and life. And life in Jesus means that it is by grace, that God has done all this by grace. And so when we read that the Spirit comes into us and breathes life into us because it's taking the word of life and bringing life into us and an army is formed, beloved, we as believers are the army of God and it is an army of grace. It is an army of grace. We are people that have been made alive by grace and we live by grace and we share the grace of God. We are absolutely dependent on God for life and our future. Now, the last thing that you can think about is this. You might be wondering, 
well, how do I know if God's at work in me? How do, I, how do I know every day? How do I know each week if the Spirit is taking the words of life and bringing me life? How do I know that? How can I really live in this Word of God? And how can I live it out in my daily life? And how can I know that God is really there and He's really doing something in my life? Well, I want to show you verse 11. You will always know that you are being worked on by God, and you can always have confidence that the gospel is doing something in you when what we find in verse 11 is true. You notice that God talks to his people, and then in the middle of verse 11, it says, but they say, God's people, the dry, dead bones, that they say that we are dried up and cut off? Did you notice that? You will always know that God is at work in your life when you are able to admit how inadequate you are to make life work, to make your relationship with God work, to figure out what's going on at work or at home or where you live. When the gospel is working in someone's life, it always brings us to the end of ourselves over and over and over and over. Maybe another way to say this is the gospel is at work in your life when you're constantly able to see that without God, you can do nothing. That without him, there is no life. When you could admit that in yourself is only death, in myself there's only death. I'm lifeless to God and toward God without him. It means that God is working into us a greater sense of dependence on him and a reorientation in which we're willing to admit that we are nothing without him. And the next thing, it's that it's not just that we're able to admit that we're nothing without him. It's that in him we have life and hope. Hope that exists no matter how bad things look and hope that is beyond death, stronger than death. God's people are willing to cast all that they are on God and find everything in him. You see, this chapter, Ezekiel 37, is giving us a glimpse into who we really are. What we really are is dry bones, dead. And it's giving us a glimpse of what God really does do. And friends, the truth is we're really that bad. And the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is really this radical. And God gets all the glory. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you that in your hands and in your heart and in your power is life. And that you are gracious and good and that you work into us to understand more of our dependence on you. Holy Spirit, don't leave us alone until, you, until we come to grips with the beauty of Christ.
and how desperate we are and how needy we are. Teach us each day. Draw close to us and draw us close to God. And we pray this so that you would make it true in our lives, that God would get all the glory. Through Jesus, amen. Remember, friends, God desires to bless you. These words are going to be the words that God uses through the work of his spirit to bring the truth of God into your life this week, no matter what you're experiencing. So hear this blessing from God and trust that he will make it true by the work of his spirit in you. The Lord your God is a mighty God. He is in your midst and he will save you. This week, he will not only rejoice over you, but he also will probably quiet you with his love. And in the age to come, yes, the day is coming in which all things will be made new. And in that time for all eternity, he will exult over us with loud singing. Not because we're great, because Jesus is and the redemption will be full and forever. It's all true because of Christ. Amen. Go in peace.